0: let's pray. Our Lord and our God, wonderful and and vast and beyond our imagination, eternal and infinite, wisdom far beyond our own. We praise your holy name, we praise you this morning, and we worship you. I pray, Lord, that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit, fill us all up to overflowing, that we would hear we, from your word, that we would understand, it would plant seeds in our heart, that would grow and bear fruit in our lives, that goes far beyond these four walls. Give us strength and wisdom that is not our own, we pray in Jesus Christ's name, amen. The world, God, and the Christian, part three. Today we complete this picture of the state of the world, the nature of God, and the Christian call. In the last two weeks, we saw that the world is a cursed place of storms and hardships, right? Because of the sin of mankind. It is lost in superstition and idols as they reach for explanations for what they see around them, and they will reach for anything but God. God, in his providence, carefully watches over the saved and the unsaved, providing for us. And we saw that the Christian should be a source of tangible compassion and encouragement to the world around us, putting Christ on display in our lives for the world to see him through us and who we are and how we speak. As we close out the book of Acts, we're going to add to that the stumbling block that is the cross of Christ, God's provision of his word, and the believers call to proclaim the truth. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, starting at verse 11. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Acts 28, starting at verse 11, it says, After three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Again, we see the the superstition and idols of the world right there as the twin gods were were, uh, uh, supposed to give good fortune through storms. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Rhegium, And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers And we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they gathered, he said to them, Brothers! Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, claiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. The world is a cursed place of storms and hardships, lost in superstition and idols, and caught by the stumbling block that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Here in this passage, we have Paul requesting an audience with the Jewish leaders of Rome. And, and they are curious about what he has come to say, but, but they are reserved. Verse 22, we read that they say, But we desire to hear from you what your views are. for With regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. They, they want to hear what he has to say, but, but what will this Paul tell us? He's got good credentials. He's he's a Pharisee. He was a student of Gamaliel. But everywhere, everything we hear about this Christian sect, it's, it's bad. And having heard the gospel from Paul of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins as our atonement, as our propitiation, probably beginning with something very similar to what Peter told at Pentecost when he said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Having heard this plan, God's plan of salvation, they they can't agree. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. They they can't come to agreement. Many of them just can't comprehend that the Messiah, not arriving as an earthly conqueror, but instead coming to, to die? And of of all ways, to die on a cross by the Romans that he was supposed to come and conquer? This is just too far out of their cultural norm. It doesn't jive with their culture's desire to be rescued from the rule of Rome. Besides, isn't everybody who is hung on a tree cursed? How is it that God would plan to save people from their sins by dying on a cross? How does this make sense? What is with with all this talk of bloodshed and sacrifice? Isn't that just ancient mythology? Isn't this just a 2,000-year-old book or whatever, thousands of years ago, and and it doesn't make any sense? To quote Richard Dawkins one more time, if God wanted to forgive our sins, why not just forgive them without having himself tortured and executed in payment? Well, as God says... the power of God, and the wisdom of God. What we don't comprehend in our own finite wisdom and ways, really there's a whole lot about God we don't comprehend, we don't understand in our limited knowledge, is that infinite, eternal God does not change. In other words, he will not compromise his character or nature. He will remain faithful to who he is and what he has said. Psalm 146. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful for a time. He remains faithful forever. He remains faithful, especially to himself, because he cannot disown himself. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, if you want to look that up later. Or as it says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not human, that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is not like us. There is no stain of sin in him. Only perfection. Only purity. Only holiness. If in the beginning God said, if you choose to sin against me by eating this fruit, you will die. If that is what he said at the beginning, then that is exactly what will have to happen. No matter what year it is, no matter what day it is, That's the price. The wages for our sin is death to this day. That's the punishment he chose in order to show us the dark depth of sin. Just how filthy and wretched sin is before him, and he will not live with it. Because God is holy righteous, just, and pure. He cannot and will not just sweep your sin under the rug and say, oh, let's just forget about that, because it's still there. It must be dealt with. In his nature of perfection, it must be dealt with. And yet, at the same time, we see in the pages of Scripture that God is also loving, kind, and merciful, and, and gracious. Psalm 36, 5 through 7, it says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice is like the great deep You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. Or as John puts it so very simply, God is love. God is loving. God is kind, gracious. He is merciful. But unlike us, His love, mercy, and grace will never compromise any part of his whole character. So how is God to reconcile these two elements of who he is, the the justice and righteousness versus the the love and grace and mercy? How is he to do this without compromising himself? Well, if the punishment for sin is death, then someone has to die. So God laid forth a plan. I know what I'll do. I'll send my son, the the second person of the triune Godhead. Instead of making someone else suffer, God would take it on himself to suffer in our place. And being fully God and and fully human, he would pay the price of death for our sin in our place. Being God, infinite and eternal, he could taste death for every single person who will receive the gift of his sacrifice by faith in Jesus Christ. He could pay the price for sin, past, present, and future. God stands outside of time. He's the only one who could make that sacrifice of perfection, equivalent, and of infinite value. And this is not hidden. But it is consistently pointed toward. This plan of salvation is consistently given to us and told to us about throughout the entire Old Testament. It's told to us through typology, through things like foreshadowing and, and through outright prophecies. We first see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where the, the singular seed of the woman, virgin birth, one man in particular, the Messiah, would crush the head of the serpent while the serpent bit his heel, as Jesus Christ went to the cross and died. And yet at the same time was the victor over death and the grave as he rose again. We see it when God puts the necessity of the perfect sacrifice, the sheaf without blemish, the sacrifice without blemish on display for us to see through the Passover and throughout the whole sacrificial system in the law. The book of Ruth, Ruth pictures for us the kinsman redeemer. Someone from her own family had to be the one to redeem her. Jesus coming in the flesh, just like one of us. A brother, someone from our own family to redeem us. If you want to pick another passage to look up later, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Hebrews 1, 10 through 18. And and Ruth was redeemed. Do you remember where Ruth was from? Yeah, she wasn't a Jewess, was she? She was a Gentile. She was from Moab. God, even in the Old Testament, saying, look what I'm going to do. I'm going to send someone just like you to redeem you, and I'm going to redeem you, be you Jew or Gentile. They're going to be from your own family. Psalm 22, with its very vivid and clear description of a crucifixion long before crucifixion was even developed by mankind as an ultimate form of torture and death, Isaiah 53 couldn't paint a clearer picture, a more, more vivid picture of a Savior who would shoulder the burdens of our own sins and in our place and then rise from the dead. I couldn't find just a couple of verses of this to read to you, so I'm reading to you the whole chapter. Isaiah 53, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, and he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that has brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied, the resurrection. By his knowledge, my righteous servant, will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession. For the transgressors. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. You see, the world may be a cursed place of storms and hardships, lost in superstition and idols, caught in the stumbling block that is the cross of Christ. But God has provided His word. He's given us His word that the world would know His great and lavish grace, his love and mercy toward them through his plan of salvation for them in Christ Jesus. And Paul didn't just give him his opinion of the matter. He reasoned with them from what? He reasoned with them from Moses and the prophets, the scriptures, verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. This is not our plan. This is not something that mankind would or could ever come up with. This is the plan of God. Because he is just and righteous and loving and gracious and merciful. So he's provided the world with his word. But let's be honest, God's word is not always easy to understand, is it? It's wonderfully simple and vastly complex all at the same time. Have you ever been caught off guard by a verse? Oh. Ho, 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 ho. Come on, raise your hand. Show me a person who's never been caught off guard by a verse, and I'll show you somebody who needs to read their Bible. So God has not only provided his word, but the Christian. He's provided the world with the Christian. He's left us here to fill the gap until he returns, just as Paul continued to do through his time there in Rome. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. God has left us in this fallen world that the Christian might shine in the darkness with encouragement and compassion and the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We are to bear witness to the person and works of Jesus Christ. We need to speak and reason and explain God's truth from his word. Even though it can be difficult to understand and difficult to take at times. Even though it contradicts the heart and mind and the philosophies of this fallen world. From gender fluidity to abortion even though it confronts people in who they are and how they are living. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, verse 26, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull with their ears, they can barely hear with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Those are easy words to take. But we take the truth to the world because that's what God has called us to do. And we take it with compassion and encouragement just as Paul did. As he's the one who called them, he wanted that time with them to share that gospel, to share the hope of Israel as he explained it to them and expounded upon Scripture so that they could perhaps understand as he continued to welcome people as he was there for two more years, imprisoned, showing compassion and encouragement to those who would come to him. Encouragement without compassion is empty. Compassion Without truth is temporal. And yet truth without encouragement and compassion is hard and cold. See, encouragement without compassion is empty. We see that in a passage like James 2, verses 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed. Very encouraging, right? but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Because encouragement without compassion is empty. Compassion without truth is temporal. It'll only cover a symptom of life in a fallen world, a world with far greater problems than hunger and sickness. Yes, these are very real problems, and we need to care for those because the world is lost, because they have problems of an eternal nature and a spiritual depth. And the truth Without encouragement and compassion is simply hard and cold, hence the call of Scripture is to share the truth, speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter four, verse fifteen. There really needs to be all three encouragement, compassion, and truth. The Christian is called to take the gospel to the world without holding the world's Sin against it. Did you you see how Paul dealt with these guys? Because It says, verse 19, But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. His nation was coming against him with all they could, and he had no charge to bring back against them. Paul, having gone through trial after trial, his own people wanting him dead, and yet he would still say in Romans chapter 9, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel, the same ones who wanted him dead. And he didn't hold it against them in the least. And he continued to welcome them, to encourage them, to show compassion to them. He held nothing against them because he understood their condition. That they are dead in their sins and trespasses. That he was at one time in the exact same place and the same thing holds true for us. We can look out at the world and say, boy, there goes a lost one. Listen to his filthy mouth. We can realize that but for the grace of God, there goes me, and have compassion. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you, to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. We are called to walk in forgiveness, to forgive as we have been forgiven, welcoming all who would come to us all whom God sends into our lives, into our soil, into that sphere of influenced lives. The truth we hold out for them is a stumbling block. It offends the world, and and most of the world will not like it or care to listen, will they? Some will even hate us for loving them. But Let's not let that discourage us. Because according to verse 24, some were convinced by what he said. Others disbelieved, but some were convinced. Well, while some may disbelieve, we do it for the sake of those who will be convinced, and we don't know who they might be. Who would have thought you'd be saved, right? Right? We do it that they, too, will have the same hope that we have been given, the same salvation, the same eternal life that we share in Christ Jesus. As C.H. Spurgeon said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Let's proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness because the world is a cursed place of storms and hardships, lost in superstition and idols and caught in the stumbling block that is the cross of Christ. But God, in His providence, sees us through the storms and hardships, giving us all that we need by the strength and power of His Holy Spirit, giving the world both His Word and the Christian. You are here for a purpose, repurposed in Christ. That the Christian would be an encouragement and a source of tangible compassion as we proclaim the truth of the gospel in love. That perhaps some might be convinced and share an eternal life with us. Do you have sin in your life that you'd rather just have swept under the rug Please understand today, that won't happen. That won't happen in God's economy. This is His world. God will deal with our sin one way or another. We can either pay for that sin ourselves, eternally separated from God, or we can accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place undeserved, full of grace and mercy. This truth can be difficult to take. It's hard to understand when we've been raised in a fallen world where the world says everything against what God says. But if you have questions, come up and talk with me afterwards. If you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today, come up and speak with me. Pray with me as soon as the service is done. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We thank you for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and and just the... Your wisdom and and how reasonably and logically your plan of salvation works out when we take a careful look at all that you have said and all that you have done and all the ways you proclaimed it to us long before we were born and how you chose us from before the foundations of the earth that we would know you. We thank you for all these things. We praise you for the resurrection and how it gives us the hope of everlasting life. And I pray, Lord, you would make us a new people that you would remove from us the desires for our comfort zones, you would remove from us our own preferences, and we would give those up that somebody else would know eternal life, and we would share in that with them one day in your presence, knowing as we are known. We praise you, Father, for this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.